Hey, good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Good morning, good morning, good morning. So excited to be with you this morning. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if uh, you're visiting with us today, whether you're visiting online or in person, uh, let me just give a couple of instructions and then we'll get into the message today. First of all, if you're in person or online, you can actually connect with us by filling out one of our connection cards. So when you came in, you might have been given one more in a paper form. You could fill that out and then turn it at the end. I'll give a little bit of instruction on that to a minute in a minute. Or you can do it online. You can uh, text to connect, as we call it. So you would text it to the number 31. 996, and you text the phrase VICTORY18, and when you do that, a digital connection card will come to your phone. You can fill that out. Obviously, if you're watching online, that's the only way to be able to do it. And then right after service, if you're here in person, you can either take that card you filled out or proof on your phone that you did it, take it to our Welcome Center, and we have a gift for you. And it's just a little gift for us to say, hey, look, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for choosing to spend your Sunday morning with us. You could be doing anything and anywhere. And we're just so glad that you would give us some time here at Victory Church. Also, if you are visiting or you've been coming for a little bit and you're wondering how you can support, you want to give towards Victory Church, there's three ways you can do that. Uh, number one is through our online portal, portal online, where there's our website, our app, different ways like that. Second, you can text to give just as you text to connect. And then lastly, as you're leaving today, there'll be an auditorium host with a Victory Church bucket you can give that way as you're going out. And first of all, we have such faithful people in this church that give every week. And because of their faithfulness, we're able to do so much. And so every Sunday, we try to just take a second, highlight something that we're doing in the community, always outside of the four walls. Everything that we're doing is, is often to, to be able to impact not just us, but others around us. And, and a lot of us, you're experiencing uh, the benefits of that today as we'll pile out of here after service and go to a trunk or treat that we were able to help provide a lot of candy and excitement for not only you, but for our community. And so with that, let me give a little bit of instruction, and then we'll get into the message. Um, if you are participating in the trunk retreat, which hopefully you all are, whether no matter what your age is, six or 60, get out there and get you some candy, okay? Um, when you leave, so when we exit out, you can, you can fellowship a little bit, do like we normally do, but we do ask you to go get your kids first, okay? So go get your kids before you go out to the area, because here's our plan. Our plan is from about 11.30 to 12, the food truck will open. Uh, we have a, a food truck, hot dog food truck that has hot dogs and chili dogs. There's chips, there's drinks. And listen, that's already been paid for, okay? So you're not going to the food truck to pay. You're just going to get your food. They know that. They'll give you your food. Yeah, go ahead. You can give God praise for that. That's all right. That's all right. You're about to get married. It's okay to be, be happy about free food. They didn't want to say it, but they were happy about it, all right? They were like, oh, man. Oh, we're going to eat today. Okay, I see how it is. Uh, so go get your food. We'll do that for about 30 minutes, and then I think the plan is at noon, all the trunks will open, and there'll be instructions. Erica has done a phenomenal job in getting that ready to go, and so just be ready. Again, my number one announcement is go get your kids first, because we want our kids' volunteers to be able to go participate, it, uh, participate in it as well. Amen? Yeah. All right, all right. Last announcement, then we'll get going. We have a massive announcement for our church. I'm talking huge, all right? Biggest announcement that we've ever had as a church since the day we launched. However, I don't have the time to announce it today, all right? I, I, we got so much going on. I got a word I'm ready to preach. We got to get out here and love on our kids and check out these trunks. So next Sunday, look at the person beside you and say, next Sunday. Tell them, say, next Sunday. Next Sunday 
is going to be the big announcement. So you need to get back in this place. I'm going to work it into my sermon because I got a lot to tell. It's going to be an incredible, incredible moment. You're going to want to be in the building for that announcement. I know you're watching online. You don't want to see that announcement online. You want to be in person for the announcement because uh, it might be something good. And we might just praise God for the announcement that day. So, so all right, so y'all plan to be here? Y'all going to be here? All right. All right, all right, let me get focused again. Let me get back into it. Let's get ready. You ready for the word? All right, if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts chapter 16. Uh, if you are visiting with us, we've been studying through the book of Acts together as a church since the end of Easter or since Easter passed. Um, and so we just kind of take it chapter by chapter. I was a little worried about coming in today with Acts 16 because my wife preached last Sunday and I heard so many good things that I wasn't sure you guys would even want me back up here. And so I was already preparing to try out for other churches and let her take this one. Um, but, but we're excited, excited to be back. She did a phenomenal job. Thank you for letting me go over to a mentoree of mine's church and preach hope. It's in Waverly, Tennessee. As you know, those guys, that, that whole town has been through a lot with the flood. And so to go and preach hope was just a great opportunity. So thank you for allowing me to do that. Acts chapter 16, we're going to start at verse 16. We're going to read for a little bit, and then we're going to break it down. Here we go. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. 16. And leading up to this, Paul and Silas are trying to decide where God wants them to go next to preach the gospel. And the first part of Acts 16, God is shutting doors. It says the Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus is saying, no, no, no. And then this man comes to Paul in his dream and says, come to Macedonia. And then they, they, they take off for that. They meet a woman named Lydia. And then we're picking up in verse 16. It says, once, when we were going to the place of prayer, so it was common for them to travel to the synagogue for prayer throughout the day, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she could predict the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners. It's important for you to see she wasn't making the money. She was making it for her owners by fortune telling. That's what she did. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days and finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. He spoke to the spirit, not to the young lady. And at that moment, the spirit left her. And when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs that are unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. And so then the crowd joins in and begins to attack Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, not just a little beating, so not, not the whole uh, ruler on the wrist, severely flogged, they were then thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in the stocks. And then about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and they were singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. I want to talk to you for a moment this morning from the concept foolish faith. Foolish faith. I started thinking about moments where I have felt foolish. I asked my wife the other night, we were getting ready to go to bed, and I said, hey, I'm, you know, this is what I'm doing sermon-wise. I'm trying to figure out a story where I looked real foolish. And I thought, I'm telling you this so you can have a few days to think about it. You know what I mean? Because it's going to be hard 
for you to come up with a good story. And like seconds later, she just started spitting them out one after another. And I was, she, like, she was like, now I'm awake. I don't even want to go to bed. I'm thinking of all these stories. And I'm like, be quiet. Like, you know. So I started thinking it through. And I remember this one. I was in ministry school. And in ministry school, what would happen in the mornings is we'd have to get up and go to an hour prayer session in the morning. And so we'd, we'd wake up out of the bed. Most of us, it was, it was all college-age kids, and the director was a, a, a man who retired from FedEx. And so he had all these routines for us, and one of them was an hour-long prayer in the morning. And so we would literally wake up out of bed, put on a hoodie, and stumble. We, we, we lived on the church property, and so we would kind of stumble to the prayer chapel, and then we'd, we'd pray. And so you can imagine, we were all, you know, very tired. And so he'd have candles lit and soft music playing and the heat would be on and it was very difficult to stay awake during this time. I mean, I wasn't, you know, I was like 19 years old. I wasn't this like super spiritual prayer warrior. I was there to sleep, not so much there to, you know, go after the spirit. Um, And so one time in particular, just so you know, when it was over, he wouldn't announce it. What he would do is he would get up and he would walk quietly to the front of the room and then the the slow kind of calm music that was playing, he would turn it down And that would be everybody's cue to like, oh, prayer's over. Let's go over there and pray. The problem is it's really quiet. So if something happened like, I don't know, you fell asleep in it, then you wouldn't necessarily pick up on that, okay? So I came in one morning, I sat down, there were all pews in there, and I sat down, and I I was reading my Bible for a little bit, praying for about five, 10 minutes, and I laid my head down on the back of one of those pews, and I was out. I'm talking out, snoring out, okay? And so prayer gets over. It's been about an hour. Uh, his name was Pastor Don. Pastor Don comes up to the front, and then, you know, one by one, all the students, there's about 20 of us students, start coming up to the front. And everybody obviously notices that Troy is not moving, right? He's either, like, been slain by the Spirit or something's not right. So instead of being courteous and, like, waking me up on the way there, they just leave me. And everybody comes up to pray, and they're all just waiting quietly for me. And then it was just, it had to be the Spirit of God. Something just woke me up. And when I looked up, I obviously see that nobody's near me anymore. Everybody's up front. Everybody's looking at me. So I get up, and I walk up to the front. And not only do I have that, like, just woke up look, you know what I'm talking about, where you're just like, kind of walk. But because my head was on the pew, I had these two lines that went right across my forehead. And I'm standing, everybody's praying. And, like, you hear people snickering and all that, you know, because I just look foolish. And there was just that moment where, again, amongst these people, I looked Foolish. Have you ever had a moment where you looked foolish? You know what I'm talking about? Nobody likes to look foolish. It's not fun. But here's the problem with that. Our faith in God truly begins where our human understanding ends. If our faith is going to truly begin where our human understanding ends, then we have to get used to to foolishness. There's going to be times, listen to me, when God asks us to do something that doesn't seem rational and it doesn't seem logical at all, and in fact, some people might call it crazy or foolish. I was thinking about Acts chapter 16 and the fact that God actually was closing the doors for Paul. Paul tried to go here, God said no. Paul tried to go here, God said no. Paul tried to go here, God said no. And then all of a sudden, God lights up the runway to Macedonia. You need to go to Macedonia. And then he arrives in Macedonia, and he meets Lydia, and he has this interaction with her. And then all of a sudden, he meets this woman who's, been, who's a fortune teller. And then next thing you know, he's captured, he's beaten, he's put in prison. And there just has to be a moment where he's thinking to himself, why would God 
not only closed the door to other places, but then opened the door wide open to the place where I'm going to go and look foolish. Because when you're preaching the faith of God and you're arrested, when you're preaching the faith of God and you're beaten, when you're preaching the faith of God and you're put in prison with everybody else, you look foolish. And the book of Acts teaches us not to allow how God does it to get in the way of what God wants to do. And if you are concerned with looking foolish, you will allow the way that God is doing it to get in the way of what it is that God wants to do. And I had this question. What if, what if the greatest faith moments, the, the, the most incredible faith Field miraculous moments, what if they are reserved for the people who are willing to look foolish? So I want to talk to you for a moment about faith that's willing to look foolish. Do we have it? Do we have faith that's willing to look foolish? Let's go back to Acts chapter 16. I'm going to read a couple of verses, and I want to really break it down because it's easy for us to read these and just kind of pan right over them and go on with our lives. Listen to this. When he received the orders, he put them in the inner cell. He fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas are praying, and they're singing hymns to God. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. I'll hallelujah, my, my, I'm only 37, I don't know, I'll fly away, right? If Jeff got up here right now and let y'all be over here, I'll fly away, oh glory. These guys are in prison. They're handcuffed, feet in stocks, and they're singing. You know how foolish you look to be in prison talking about how you're going to fly away? You're not. And the Bible says, I love this was so interesting, that the other people are listening to them. These guys have been beaten. Why? Because they were preaching the gospel. These guys have been arrested. Why? Because they were serving God. These guys are in jail just like everybody else because they committed a crime. No, because they were following the will of God. And now they are praising the very God that got them in prison. See what I mean? That, my friends, is foolish. Let's call it what it really is. It's stupid. It just, it just look, everybody else would be like, are you, are you serious? Like, it's one thing to praise God, or, you know, if all of a sudden you're having these victorious moments, if God would have allowed them to preach the gospel and many got saved and all that, yeah, praise God, but to go through all of that and you're praising God, you look, you look foolish, but it's important to understand that faith is not about trusting in our own abilities, but trusting in an unlimited God, all right? So then watch this, who because of who he is and because of what he does and because of the way he does it and the fact that he's supernatural and outside of our minds, that there will be times that while we are following him, it's going to cause us to look foolish, if you're going to worship and follow an unlimited God, a supernatural God, there's going to be moments where following him causes you to look foolish. Am I right? 
I was thinking about the fact that if you, if you, if you really, really take some of the biggest faith pillars in the Bible, they all looked foolish, watch this, until you factored in God. They all really looked foolish. Let's just talk about it for a moment. Let's take Noah. We all know Noah. He builds the boat, right? Noah's ark. You've heard about that. Builds this boat, and the flood comes, and it's amazing. But do you know that when Noah's building the boat, up to that point, it had never rained? So here's Noah building this boat, and people are saying, what are you doing? He's like, I'm building this boat because it's going to rain, and when it rains, there's going to be a flood, and this is going to save our lives. And the people are like, rain? What, what is, God watered everything from the ground up. So they're like, what do you mean water from the sky? I, I, we can, that, that'd be as if I brought you in here today and said, listen, I believe, I believe right now that we are going to put a church on another planet and so I need you to help me build a spaceship. And if you'll help me build a spaceship, God will send us to that planet, right? You'd be like, I'm gone. <laughs> it's the equivalent of what he's doing. They had never seen or heard about rain. It's not like today where you go, well, we've seen it flood before. They had never seen it. Think about Abraham, who believes that his wife Sarah is going to birth him a child who is long, long past her age of being able to give birth, and she's been barren. And then all of a sudden now he's believing for her. It was so foolish that the Bible says she laughed at God. Like, <laughs> is that foolish to her? When the widow, who, who has no more oil to be able to feed her and her son, and the prophet Elijah comes and says, listen to me, all you need is in the house. Here's what he tells her to do. I want you to leave out your house, and I want you to go to every neighbor that you have, and I want you to knock on their door, and I want you to ask them for a jar. Why am I asking them for a jar? Because as many jars as you have, you'll have oil. Wait a minute. That's not how this works. I go get jars to feel how much oil I got. If I go get the jars, I still don't have any oil. It's foolish to knock on doors asking for jars to hold oil that you don't have. That's foolish. When David started making his way down the hill, and he's got no armor, no sword, all he's got is a slingshot, and he's rolling up on this giant who's got a sword that's bigger than he is, my friends, that's foolish. When Joshua is praying and he asks God to make the sun stand still so that he can finish winning the battle, that's foolish. When the disciples are waiting and believing that Jesus is going to rise from the dead, that's foolish. All of the big faith people that we love and stand on looked foolish until you factored in God. Our faith only seems foolish, though, listen, because we cannot see the future, but he can. The only reason why whatever faith you have right now, whatever it is that you're believing for, the only reason why you look foolish is because nobody in here can see the future, right? It's one thing to be able to see that it's going to work. It's another thing to hope that it does. But what's wild is that a lot of things that seem foolish yesterday are normal today. For example, I was thinking about this. I did a little bit of research. In the 1800s, there was an invention that when people talked about it, they called it a, uh, they called it bizarre. 
They said, they said this is going to be bizarre. Like, there's just no way, no way that anybody's ever going to actually want this. There's no way it's going to succeed. That is bizarre. That's foolish. That's dumb. That invention was the light bulb. I think we kind of like it, right? It's pretty normal today. In the 1900s, there was this food combination. They wanted to take two different food items that were already made. They wanted to combine them together. And people who heard about it said, you're living in a fairy tale. So there's no way that people are going to enjoy those two food items together. You ready? It was a burger and cheese. <laughs> pretty normal, right? When laptops were first, people were like, this will never work. When TVs were first made, people were like, this will never work. When iPhones and cell phones were first, it'll never work. Things that were foolish yesterday are normal today. The other day, I was in my house, and I was upstairs, and somebody sent me a text message, and my phone was downstairs on the charger, and I saw the, the, the text came through my watch, and I just needed to respond with the word yes. I didn't need to do a long, I just needed to say yes to him, but I was too lazy to get up and go get my phone from downstairs, right? It was Monday. I was off. I wasn't doing that. And so I leaned over, and I hit a button on my watch, and I went, yes. And then I hit another button, and it sent yes to them. And all of a sudden, as soon as I did that, I had this thought. When I was growing up, my dad would watch this show called Star Trek. Y'all familiar with that show? <laughs> and Captain Kirk would come walking into this place, and he'd be like, doo -doo -doo -doo, and he would speak into his watch. And I remember when I was that age, I was like, that's so crazy. Like, that dude's speaking into his watch, and somebody's lit. This is crazy. And it's normal to you. My kids aren't even impressed with it. They're like, but can you play Fortnite on it? No. You know what I mean? Like, there was a time where something that seemed so foolish is now just normal. Am I right? Let me, let me talk to my, I got any grandparents in here for a second? How many things were foolish to you that are normal today? Where, where's my parents at? How many things that were foolish to you are normal to your kids? All right, teenagers, listen. There's going to be a time. I'll be long dead gone. Don't worry. But there's going to be a time where there's something right now that seems foolish to you is going to be the norm. See what I mean? All because of being able to see. This is why we cannot be afraid to have foolish faith. Because something that is considered foolish in one season will be considered faith in the other. And it's why you can't be afraid to look foolish with your faith. Because what might be considered foolish in this season will be called faith in another one. Noah was called foolish when he was building the boat. And then when the flood came, what'd they say? Man, you got faith. Abraham was called foolish when he started telling people, yeah, we're gonna have a baby. We're gonna have a baby. Later on, we say that he was a man with great faith. When that widow was knocking on all the doors, she looked foolish. You guarantee they were talking about her. She asking me for jars. She ain't even got no oil. She looked foolish. And yet now she's got oil running over every. It didn't stop until she didn't have any more jars. What once looked foolish is now being called 
faith. David looked foolish fighting a giant with no armor. When he cut off his head, he was a man that had faith. Joshua looked, fool, looked foolish asking God to make the sun stand still. And when all of a sudden he had 48 hours of sunshine, he was a man of faith. Listen to me. There are things that you're believing for that people are calling you foolish because you're believing for it. And there will be a season in your life where they'll say, oh, wow, you got faith. You say, yeah, it was faith in this season, but in that season, you were calling me foolish. But I believed it in this season, and now I'm living it in this season. Somebody will tell you that you're foolish for believing that your marriage can be restored. They'll say it's foolish in this season, but there will be a season where they'll call it faith, all right? Some people are telling you right now that you're foolish for believing for a job, and there'll be a season where you have the job, and you're being elevated, and you're making your way up in that business, and somebody will say, man, you got faith, but you called me foolish before. There's somebody right now, listen to me, you're being called foolish because you're believing for a child, and there's going to be a season where somebody says, oh, you got faith, and you'll say, yeah, what you call faith in this season was foolish in that season. Can I, come on, come on, let's get excited for a moment. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you're believing for, it may sound like foolishness right now in this season, but in this season, now here's what I love about this season. I don't know how far this season is. It may be foolishness tomorrow, or I'm sorry, yeah, tomorrow, and then faith next weekend. It may be foolishness today, but won't be faith till 10 years from now. But how long are you willing to look foolish? Because here's what I'm learning about God. With God, the preposterous leads to the phenomenal. The silly leads to the spectacular. The absurd leads to the amazing. The insane leads to the incredible. Here's my favorite statement. If I'm not willing to put myself in a this is crazy situation, I will never experience a this is awesome moment. We all want a this is awesome moment. Man, that was awesome. But we don't want to put ourselves in a this is crazy experience. Now, I'll be honest with you. I hesitated for a second calling it foolish faith. I thought about calling it something else because, you know, fool is kind of a bad word, right? Like when we call somebody a fool, it's disrespectful. And I didn't want you, you know, when you look at the definition of foolish, it's unwise. And I did not want you to leave here thinking that I'm telling you that faith means ignorance. It's not what I'm saying. They're not the same thing, right? Like, like the lack of intelligence is not what I'm talking about when I say foolish faith. What I'm talking about is understanding that you are limited in your thinking capacity, to understand that your brain has limits because of who you are. You have been limited mentally by your experiences, by who your parents are, by what happened to you as a child, by all the things that culture says. You have limited yourself in your mind. So therefore, what is wise to you, what's wise to you, Outside of that doesn't necessarily lack intelligence. It's just stress stretching the walls in which you believe. I'll prove it to you. Paul, the very Paul that we're talking about in the book of Acts, gets ready to write a letter to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And watch what he says. He says, but God chose what? The foolish things. Why would he choose the foolish things? To 
shame the wise. Because there are people out there, listen to this, who will say that it can't happen because they can't wrap their mind around it. And so God chooses things that are foolish to the natural man to prove that they cannot put God in a box. To understand that God is not going to fit into your mental capacity. To understand that the plans that he has are often greater than we can understand. That just because doctors say no, and just because your neighbor says no, and just because your friends say no, doesn't mean it can't happen. He uses the foolish things to shame the wise. God loves to use crazy things that don't make sense to the sensible. So that these people, listen, that these kind of people don't think they got it all figured out. Not making sense is our God's M.O. I don't know how many of you are like heavy Bible readers. But if you'll just take really any book of the Bible, man, if you ever get a chance to read it through, if you go from Genesis, and even if you get into the letters of Paul, maybe, you know, Revelation might confuse you a little bit, but if you just get through it all, and you set that book down, and you step back, and you say, does God make sense? Does the things that God did make sense to my brain? Your answer is going to be no, because he operates outside of this, these here walls that we've created in our mind. And so when it comes to having faith in God, listen to me, faith in yourself, you can make sense of. Well, I got enough money, I can do that. If it doesn't happen, I got enough money, it'll be okay. Oh, I can, you can make sense of faith in yourself. You'll never be able to make fully sense of faith in God because he's operating by a different system. And he wants you to have foolish thinking so that, watch this, when it happens, it can't be denied that it was God. Because if he does it the way you want him to do it, then it's not impressive to the people around you. Because the way you want him to do it, honestly, you could make it happen. So he wants to get outside of that so that people go, there's no way that could happen. It must have been God. And so this is why it has to be foolish. You ready? It has to be foolish. Your faith has to be foolish faith because in the end, that's the only way that it can be better than you can believe. And that's what I really want you to walk away with today, that when you have real faith in God, what you are believing for will be better than whatever it is you can believe. Whatever it is that you can make up in your mind. Listen, I'm one of those people, I don't know if you are, that when I have to meet somebody, I try to figure out what they look like in my mind. You ever done that? Like you have a meeting with somebody you've never met before and you kind of develop what you think they're gonna look like, right? Or you have something like, for example, if you've ever gone on a vacation and you start trying to decide what that vacation is going to look like in your mind. You already know Monday we're going to do this and Tuesday we're going to do this. Or if you go to somebody's house, I've done this before, where I'm already trying to figure out what kind of house do they live in. You know what I mean? And you get to, like, this is just how we operate. We, we want to try to guess it before it happens. So when all of a sudden God wants to do something in our lives, what do we do? We try to pre-guess what God's going to do, right? 
oh, I think God's going to deliver me from this. Here's how he's going to do it. But he cannot do it the way that you predetermined because it has to be bigger than you can believe. And until you can think and believe and expect bigger than yourself, God can't operate by your plans. Let's go back to Acts 16. Watch this. This You gotta catch this because it's so easy to read right over it. About midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and they're singing hymns to God. They look foolish. They look crazy. The other prisoners are listening to them. Wow, they are so, can you just, I can hear the other prisoners right now. Like, man, these guys have lost their mind. What's wrong with, the Bible says, suddenly, like in the middle of them, these guys are, suddenly, suddenly, there's such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison are shaken. Should have done sound effects, Jeff. Like it's shaking. This is a very romantic shake. So shake it. Watch this. Don't, don't, don't let me lose you. Hold on. Come back. And at once, all the prison doors flew open. So the ground's shaking, and all of a sudden, the doors flew open, and it doesn't stop. Watch this. And everyone's chains came loose. Their chains just fell right off. And the Bible says that the jailer woke up, and when he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Why would he kill himself? The rules back then were that if you were the prisoner over certain, or if you were the guard over certain prisoners, and they were to escape, you were guilty. So not only would you be shamed, you would then be murdered. So in his mind, I'd rather kill myself so it looks like they killed me as they escaped instead of them shaming me and killing me anyway, all right? So he's going to kill himself. I love this. Going to kill himself, and it says, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. Wait, we're all here. And all of a sudden, like, like a Fast and Furious movie, they come walking out from like the shadows, you know what I mean? All of them. And here was the biggest part for me. How did Paul get all those prisoners to stay? Why wouldn't they just want to get out? He gets them all to stay. And they come out, and Paul's like, don't harm yourself, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And watch this. It says, the jailer called for the lights. Turn the lights on. He rushed in, and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Why did he fall trembling before Paul and Silas? For two reasons. Number one, he realized the power of the God that Paul and Silas served. But number two, he realized the grace of the God that Paul and Silas served because they stayed so that he wouldn't be killed. And here's what he says to him, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Here's what's so beautiful about this. Paul and Silas had foolish faith because they were praising God while they were in prison. Their faith was to be set free from prison. That's what they had faith for. That, that's where their mind stopped. That's where their plan stopped. That God, if you would just get us out of this prison. God, just do so. Just get us out of these chains. That's what we're believing for, God. Just get us out of these chains. And not only did God set them free from the prison, but God allowed that jailer to be saved. And then the Bible says that they go on to preach to the jailer's family and they get saved and baptized. Listen to me. This is why God cannot meet your expectations because he must exceed your expectations. 
And if he's always meeting them, he can't exceed them. And if all he does is get Paul and Silas out of prison, then this guard does not get saved. But because God is always outside of the box, because God is always thinking bigger and better and longer and farther than you and I are thinking, not only is he setting them free from prison, but he's allowing this man and his family to be saved. Faith is the difference between the best that you can think of and the best that God can do. That, look, that was way better than you responded. Faith, walk with me, is between, it's the difference between the best that you can think of. What's the best that you can think of? Financially, if you're dealing with something financially, what's the best that you can think of? If you're dealing with something relationally, what's the best that you can think of? If you're dealing with some type of temptation or addiction, what's the best that you can think of? Faith is the difference between the best that you can think of and the best that God can do, which means God will not only provide your financial need, but use you to provide a financial need for somebody else. That's how God works. He won't just let you be able to deal with the addiction. He'll set you free from it. It's better than how you think. It's beyond. No matter how big what you're believing for, God's plan is bigger. It's bigger. Because the bigger the plan, the bigger the miracle, the more it demonstrates his glory. And so I kind of wanted to challenge you with a little bit of homework. I was going to get a whiteboard and do all this stuff, but it's not worth it. But just, just walk with me. Imagine a line where you could write something on. Maybe when you get home, do it in a journal, do it in your Bible, do it, do it somewhere, do it on your phone. And I want you to write in that line what you're believing God for. Whatever it is. I know enough of you personally to know what you're believing God for. But what, hopefully we're all believing God for something, right? Like God has greater things, bigger things, better things. So wherever that line is, I want you to write what you believe in God for, okay? Now listen, then above it, I want you to draw another line. And I want you to look at what you wrote, and I want you to step back and go, how could that be better? How could it be crazier? What could I write that would be foolish in comparison to what I'm writing here? And I want you to write that above it. And I want you to see it as, God, this is what I'm believing for, but I believe this is what you want to do. A few months ago, Darla and I got invited to go over to Jonathan and Christina's house. Jonathan and Christina are our first impressions directors, and we went over for dinner. We're hanging out. Our kids love each other, so they're playing, having a good time. Jonathan looks at us and he says, uh, he says, I have a VR system. If y'all don't know what that is, it's virtual reality. And he said, you want to play it? And I was like, you know, do fish pee in the ocean? Let's go. And so I don't know if they do, but I just thought, of, so we go upstairs and we get in there and he, he gets the little, you, know, you put the little goggles on. And in case you don't know what virtual reality is, you put these goggles on and they have headphones with it. And what you're seeing is so real. It's crazy how real it is. But nobody else is seeing it, right? Like, it's just you with this pair of goggles on. So he gives me the pair of goggles, and again, it's got headphones, so you can't hear anything. We're up in his game room. Him, his wife, my wife, they're all on the couch. Some of the kids are in there. He goes, you go first. So I put the goggles on, and the video game is a game where they put you in like a cage, 
and they lower you into the ocean where sharks are, all right? So you're watching it, you're like, you're on, like you can see the cage and all that, and like you're coming down, and I'm like, wow. And I'm looking at all these beautiful, fish are coming through, swimming by, lights, there's different moment sounds. Well, then there's all of a sudden this moment where the shark attacks the cage that you're in. And he starts biting at it, hitting it, and then it falls off, right? The cage part falls off. And if you walk up a little bit, because of the virtual reality, you can look outside of the cage. I was scared to death. I was like, I'm going to die. Like, you're like stepping over stuff, you know what I mean? And so here's what I found out later is that Darla, Christina, Jonathan, they're dying laughing because they're watching me with these goggles on, step over stuff that's not there, jump, right, scared of this shark. I look foolish. I look like a complete fool to them. But the reason is I can see things that they can't see. Here's what we have to understand about the Spirit of God. When you start really tuning in to God, the faith of God, you have to look foolish because you will begin to see things that other people cannot see. And so they're watching you from the side. And they think, they see you stepping over stuff that's not even there. They see you reacting to stuff, and they go, you look foolish. And you go, the reason I look foolish is because I see what you cannot see. I see my marriage being restored. I see my kids graduating high school. I see my financial debt going away and me being able to be generous to other people. I see a baby being born. I see a door opening up. I see a job coming through. I see something that you cannot see. So call me foolish all you want, but it's because I see something. And here's the best part, until you see it, because everybody was laughing at me, and then Darla had to go. And they gave Darla the mask. And if you thought I look like a fool. <laughs> but now all of a sudden she could see what I saw. And I'm going to challenge you, church. Because where I want to go, I'm seeing things that people can't see. And if you'll come with me, we'll start seeing things that people can't see. But I'm warning you now, people are going to call you foolish. They're going to wonder why you're stepping over something that's not there. But what's foolish today in this season will be called faith in another season. And you may be Noah building a boat, but there will be a day where people are crying to let you want it. And you may be the widow asking for jars. And there'll be a day where she'll say, I wish I would have asked for more because the oil stopped when the last jar was there. You'll be like Joshua asking for the sun to stand still, not even understand how that is actually scientifically possible. But then it happens, and now you're this great man of faith. And so that's my challenge to you. Where are you believing? And how do we take a level of faith up, believing God for even more? Amen? Amen? Do me a favor, stand with me this morning. Father, we thank you. I thank you for your word that's alive. I 
I want to do this just real quick. I promise we're almost done. I just want to do this real quick. I, I don't know what it is you're believing for. For some of you, I have an idea. But for some of you, I don't. And if you're not believing for something, I want to challenge you right now. to. Some of you need to believe for something you quit believing for. You know what I mean? Like you gave up on it because it didn't go the way that you planned. But I'm telling you right now, I believe with all of my heart. You've been with me for the past four, five, six weeks as we've been preaching through this faith concept. And I'm telling you, not only does he want to set you free from prison, but he also wants to save the jailer. He also wants to baptize his family. One more thing. You with me? Pay attention. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. I'm almost done. I promise. Look at me. I know I made you stand up and now you're mad. The jailer teamed up with Lydia and the jailer's family and Lydia, they planted the Philippian church. Did you catch that? Paul said, get us out of prison, God. We just want you to get us out of prison, God. And God said, no, no, no. I'm not going to just get you out of prison. I'm going to get you out of prison and you're going to lead that jailer to the Lord. Not only am I going to get you out of prison, and you're going to lead that jailer to the Lord, then you're going to go to his house, and you're going to lead his family to the Lord. Not only am I going to get you out of prison, and you're going to lead that jailer to the Lord, and you're going to go over to his house, and you're going to lead his family to the Lord, then you're going to baptize his entire family. Not only am I going to get you out of prison, and you're going to lead the jailer to the Lord, and you're going to go over to his house, and you're going to lead his family to the Lord, and you're going to baptize his family, you are going to plant the Philippian church. So maybe you didn't really take me serious a moment ago. But write what you're believing. I'm believing to be set free from prison. And then draw a line above it and be open to all of the layers of what God wants to do. Because he doesn't want to just set you free. He wants to save the world. So we got to start thinking outside of our thinking. Amen? I, I, don't, I just want you to run through a wall. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is just... It's so good. It's so good. I don't know that we catch it fully. But I think we're going too soon. I think we're planting the seed today. And I think over the next couple months, we're going to water it. And I'm just believing that whatever it is you're believing for today, you're going to believe for bigger and better and more. And it'll be less about you and more about worldly impact. And you're going to see God be faithful, and it's going to be amazing. And all it's going to do is put you in a position to step out in faith again. Because God doesn't answer prayers so that you'll hang it up and go, we did good. God answers prayers so you say, all right, give me another one. Father, we thank you. Man, oh, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. And I just pray over every person in this room that whatever it is, Father, they're believing for, whatever it is that you're tugging on their heart faith-wise, that you not only do you want to answer that, not only do you want to fulfill that, but you want to do so much more through them. So I pray they would receive that this morning, that they would understand that your ways are beyond your ways, that according to Ephesians 3.20, your understanding is beyond our understanding, that we would receive it, that we'd be challenged. I pray that couples would talk tonight. I pray that students would dream. I pray that parents would sit down with their kids and really walk through what are we believing God for? 
and then give it to you to be able to do even greater things. If you're in this place right now and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm listening to me. That's the best thing. That's the best thing you could ever do. The Bible says, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you'll be saved. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, Jesus, I want, I want you to be my Savior. I believe I'm a sinner. I want to be forgiven of my sins through the sacrifice of Jesus. That's all you got to do. And believe me, there's more that God wants to do with your salvation than you can even believe. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how on time it is. Thank you for how powerful it is and how alive it is today. And we give you all the glory, all the praise. In Jesus' name, and everybody said,